Hello. Welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen. I'm joined today by Tim Cox again, uh, and Matt will be on with us. And uh, But we have today a treat for all of, all of you listening. We have sometimes in this uh, podcast, as we want, we actually are joined by real experts uh, that get to discuss uh, topics with us. And so we've invited uh, Dr. Larry Walters on with us. Uh, welcome, Dr. Walters. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, so, Dr. Walters, um, I'm going to do a little bit of a bio, and then obviously, uh, if you want to add anything, uh, Larry, you can also do that. Um, he received his doctorate from the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and uh, is a professor emeritus from Brigham Young University, taught at a number of other universities, so George Mason University, Shaman uh, University, Erasmus University, so all over the world, it looks like, um, and uh, served on the Utah State Tax Commission and uh, a number of other things I also take. But uh, to uh, kind of abbreviate your uh, bio here, let's just say you have a lot of tax information for us. And so the subject of the ta of the po podcast today will be tax policy. But is there any other um, any other information that you'd like to share, Larry, about your your background? Oh, I think that's sufficient. Okay, great. Well, we appreciate once again you jumping on, and we've got some some tax information. So this is obviously in light of a lot of people considering their tax returns coming up. That um, this is tax season for most people, but tax policy, I think, is something that's always pertinent and relevant. Uh, people always wondering what's going on with the government and why are they taxing us. So I wanted to start, I guess, with what are the different types of taxes that uh, governments uh, use and 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 why. Well, that's a good place to start. Uh, let me preface the, what I say about the types of taxes by drawing a, a distinction between a tax and a fee for service. A tax would be a compulsory payment to government. Uh, fee for service would be something that you would don't necessarily have to buy, but you you do buy. For example, if you uh, uh, if you take out a membership at the local recreation uh, center that's provided by your city that would be considered a fee for service, not a tax. But your property taxes are obviously taxes and, uh, that have to be paid. Uh, so in terms of the, the types of taxes that are typically used by government, there are three big ones, and then there are several other that are small. Uh, given that today is 16th of April, the day after tomorrow is a tax day, uh, we should start out by talking about the income tax. Uh, for the federal government, that is the major source of income, is the uh, individual income tax and the corporate income tax. States also use the income tax uh, fairly heavily. Not all states have an income tax, but most do. Uh, states also have a sales tax. Uh, and local governments, there are a few local governments that have an income tax, but not very many. Um, local governments tend to rely more on property taxes and on sales taxes. Uh, schools rely almost exclusively on property taxes and then transfers from, uh, from state governments. So those are the, the, the big three. Now there are other kinds of taxes. You know, if you buy gasoline for your vehicle, you're paying, you pay a, a federal tax and a uh, generally a state tax as well on the fuel that you buy. Uh, that's called an excise tax. Um, it's, there's also excise taxes on cigarettes and things of that sort. Uh, there are also taxes that are uh, collected uh, if in states that have a lot of natural resources like oil, gas, coal. Uh, those states will will tend to lever, levy a tax on the uh, on those raw materials as they come out of the ground. That's called a severance tax. Those are the big ones that that are. Uh, are in play around the country. So, I, I'm, I've always been interested in, as to, like you mentioned, there are states that have income tax and states that don't, uh, you know, have an income tax. Um, you've been on a, you know, a state's uh, tax uh, commission board. So, what is it that goes into deciding how tax, how states decide whether or not to use an income tax, for example? Uh, it's largely historical artifact. Um, the, the, historically, 
governments, uh, state and local governments relied almost exclusively on the property tax. The national government relied almost exclusively on the sale of public lands and on uh, tariffs, uh, whether they be uh, applied to exports or to imports. Uh, but as the country grew, it became more diversified, we ran into some economic issues. Uh, governments encountered the need to diversify their, their income sources or their revenue sources. So particularly during the, the recession in the 1930s, that's when we saw a big upsurge in uh, state taxes other than the property tax, federal government during the Civil War instituted a, an income tax that was uh, judged to be uh, unconstitutional by the courts after the war was over. So it wasn't until about 1916 that we, we actually passed a constitutional amendment saying the federal government can tax incomes. Uh, so the, the things have changed over time as, as the nature of the economy has changed and as the, the needs uh, have, have changed. Um, but it's really, uh, in, in large measure, it's an, it's now an, an issue of, of political will and uh, long-standing precedence. You okay. have states that that have never had an income tax, and getting one passed now would be very difficult. You have states that have uh, typically had an income tax since you know, for close to 100 years, and, and they're not going to get rid of it. So. Right. Okay. So. Uh, I think you already kind of mentioned, but you said they, the governments have felt the need to kind of diversify. So why do uh, governments need to diversify? Why not just rely on the property tax? Why do they need to use multiple types of taxes? It's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. And there, there are several reasons for it. Uh, one is the issue of, of revenue stability. Uh, and some taxes as you would expect, are going to be more volatile in terms of their, their uh, they change more rapidly in relation to what's happening in the economy. So if the economy is booming, everybody's, we've got full employment, everybody's incomes are going up, uh, some taxes, some revenue streams will go up fairly rapidly as well. If there's a recession and those revenue sources collapse, government still needs money to, uh, to carry out its operations. So one of the issues is, is stability. And, and real, having a mix of the three types of taxes, you know, the property tax, the income tax, the sales tax, tends to, uh, to provide a portfolio of tax revenues that are a little more stable over time. Another issue, though, is, that, is targeting users. I mean, the reason we have fuel taxes is so that the people who use the roads will pay more for those roads. Um, the reason we tax cigarettes originally was because we wanted to discourage cigarette usage. Now it turns out that also produced a fair amount of revenue, so states were quite happy to take the revenue. Um, but you know, so you can try to influence behaviors with taxes, um, but by and large, that's not a good idea from a, uh, from a policy standpoint. The best tax policy is based on a principle known as a broad base and a low rate. You want to cover, you know, if you decide you're going to tax income, you want to get all of the income in the uh, in what you're defining as the tax base so that you can keep the rate relatively low. If you're going to tax property, you want to get all of the property in the base so that you can keep the rates relatively low. So trying to influence behavior through the tax system is generally not a very good idea. Um, the other issue is one of administrative capacity. Uh, can the government actually administer the tax efficiently and without being too large a burden for, uh, for people to, to pay it? So those are the kinds of things that the government's worry about. Okay. Um, so t uh, before we started this podcast, Tim was telling us that he recently filed his taxes uh, small numbers involved for Tim, but um, <laughs> the uh, I think a lot of people wonder when they're paying their taxes, income tax or property tax or sales tax, where the money goes. Um, and so one of the things I know I've wondered specifically is when I pay, um, you know, my income tax or my sales tax, is that just going to a, a big pot the government can use, or are are things are, are different revenue sources? 
earmarked for specific projects or what are the, the ways taxes are tied to specific government projects? The answer to your question is, is really is it depends on the tax. Um, the income tax at the federal level, the income tax just goes into a pot that the federal government draws on for all of its uh, needs. Uh, the Social Security tax that you pay as part of the withholding on your paycheck goes into a designated fund to support the Social Security system. Same with the Medicare tax that you would pay on your income um, as a deduction from your wages when you get paid. So those taxes do get have a, a specific um, fund that they go into and they're de for a dedicated purpose. I mentioned motor fuel tax. That's another one that is typically goes into a transportation fund uh, and is used only for transportation needs. At a local level, uh, if you are building a home, you'll pay an impact fee uh, often. And the, those fees are designated for specific purposes, building infrastructure, supporting infrastructure, whether it be roads or sewers or things of that sort. We also have a, a, a special types of government. You know, we, we, we talk about the, the federal, state, and local government, but we have to recognize that local governments get subdivided into, you know, you've got states, uh, you've got counties, you've got cities, and you also have a thing called a special district. Whether it be a school district, uh, in some cases you're, you'll have a, a water district that will cover multiple cities or even multiple counties. Or you could have a fire district that covers that serves several different uh, communities and it's often the case that those special districts will have a special tax ex explicitly for them uh, for example you may have a a property tax that is just for the water conservancy district in your area um, or there may be a, a property tax that that supports the schools and the schools can set the property tax rate, the school district sets the property tax rate. The, the school district uses those funds just for schools. Property tax generally though, uh, if it's a levied by a county or a city, that would go into a general fund that can be used to serve all of the, the government needs. The sales taxes also less whether assessed at the state or at the local level would go into a general fund that's pays for all of government. I don't know if that yeah, answers, yeah, that answers for raises more, but <laughs> well, that's the thing with all of these questions is you're, you're giving great answers. I'm, uh, I understand a lot of this a lot better, but obviously, yeah, I mean, we could dive into any section of this, I'm guessing for a while. And I'm guessing that you taught classes where you dive into these questions for a little bit longer than we have time to do in our <laughs> podcast today. But uh, yeah, that, that certainly helped. Um, and questions lead to more questions. <laughs> I didn't know that fire departments weren't under the city um, government heading. I thought that they, like each fire department was run by its own city. That depends on the city. Uh, in, in some jurisdictions, you have relatively small communities and they'll contract with a larger entity to provide fire protection. And in some cases, the fire department may be a private entity and you have to contract as an individual, you have to contract with that private entity for fire protection, uh, which is kind of a hybrid that doesn't happen very often, but down in Arizona and other parts of the Southeast, uh, it, there are private fire departments as well. So. Is that how the electric grid in Texas is run? The Texas is, a, is an interesting uh, case. The, uh, the country as a whole has three electric grids. There's an eastern electric grid, a western electric grid, and Texas. Texas has its own. And in Texas also they have opted to go to a, whereas most places you, know, you have one option for buying your electricity uh, from the local electric utility. Uh, in Texas, you can buy your electricity from a number of different providers and the wire into your house is simply a pipeline to get you that electricity. So they, they, whoever owns that wire would charge a small fee for delivering the electricity, but you're actually buying the electricity from, uh, from another entity. Uh, and that's, 
why you see Texas is in the news a lot because of their electric issues. Hmm. Wow. Uh, just for those wondering and are listening, the, the voice that you just heard, we don't have female voices on learning from a layman enough, candidly. We have, but that's Jessica, that's Larry's daughter, who's joined us also. So um, just wanted to let everyone know. Uh, okay. Another question that I that you know these some like you said sometimes taxes end up kind of as a political tool or or, or, or question as well and so I, I know that a number of years ago uh, there were there was some you know uh, some excitement about the idea of a flat tax yes. um, and so could you explain what a flat tax is? Sure, it, it's generally uh, applied to a the income tax and it says that all taxpayers should pay the same proportion of their income uh, as, as the tax. And it's attractive because it would make Tim's life a lot easier as he fills out his tax return to simply know I'm, I'm going to have to pay this percentage uh, and I don't have to worry about deductions. I don't have to worry about all of these other nuances. Uh, just this is how much I made. This is how much I pay. Uh, so it's a lot of the only one here that pays taxes. <laughs> I, I can understand that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Matters. <laughs> so explains the, the federal deficit right there. Okay. Sorry, we, we, we are probably <laughs> kidding here. <laughs> Maybe. So with with the attractiveness of a flat tax, though, are there things that make it less executable, or you know, I, I guess the follow-on question would be, why haven't we done it? Well, at the federal level, the major reason is um, the tax rate would go up for most people. In order for the federal government to raise the amount of money that it now raises through the income tax, the flat tax rate would have to be about 17%. And most Americans don't pay that higher rate. They pay something less than 15%. Uh, the other issue is um, one of deductions. You know, right now, you're allowed to deduct the interest that you pay on your mortgage. You're allowed to deduct the charitable contributions that you make. Uh, you're allowed to deduct what you pay for state uh, and local taxes. And there's a, a huge political fight over whether or not those kinds of deductions would be maintained or not. And as soon as you, you know, start adding in back in those deductions and those exemptions and things, the system becomes more complicated again, and you sort of lose some of the benefits of having a flat tax. Now, there are some states, some states that have tr tried to move in the direction of the flat tax um, and have, have been reasonably successful in doing so. But at the federal level, uh, I don't see that happening simply because, the, again, the rates would go up. You mentioned so I, well, we read your bio to start off with. I know that you that you've done some work outside of the country as well. Are any of the countries uh, do they work more with the flat tax, or is it, is it across the world across governments the flat taxes are essentially not doable? Well, it in most cases, I mean the the motivation for we have to we have to talk for a minute about what the motivation is for a flat tax and and what the alternative is. The alternative we have right now is called a progressive tax. And the, the notion of a progressive tax is that as your income goes up, uh, you should pay a higher percentage of that income for the tax. Uh, it's because it's not fair to ask poor people to pay 17% of their income uh, and to ask extremely wealthy people to pay 17% of their income because they can afford 17% so much better than somebody who's, who's really quite poor. So that's the notion of a progressive tax. And most countries in the world that have an income tax uh, have a progressive tax. Some of them are much more progressive than the US tax, which is a, a progressive system. But, but the notion is, it's how you think about fairness, actually. It, if you think, well, it's fair that everybody should say, pay the same percentage, that makes great sense. Everybody can agree with, yeah, everybody makes whatever you make, you're going to pay the same percentage of an income tax. And that, that has a great deal of appeal from a fairness perspective. 
But on the other hand, you could argue, well, wait a minute, rich people can afford to pay more and it's not going to hurt them. It's not like they're going to not be able to pay their bills because they had to pay a higher percentage. So it's really more fair to ask rich people to pay a higher percentage of their income because they're better able to afford it. And that's the big debate about progress. Wouldn't it also be a factor that rich people are using more of the infrastructure to support their wealth and their, you know, bigger houses, bigger yards, um, employees? That's possible. But again, that would I think it's important to keep the various taxes uh, somewhat separate in your mind and recognize that at the federal level, at least, the federal government doesn't get any money from the pro- from the property tax. And at the state level, the vast majority of states do not get any money from the property tax. Property tax is very much a local tax. And in fact, the majority of the property tax goes to fund local schools. If we're talking about income tax, then you have to ask, well, what services are the wealthy using of the, from the federal government. And yes, they, they use federal roads, they get, but do they get any more national defense than the poor people do? Uh, I'm not sure about that. There it becomes an issue of, okay, do we think that we have an obligation to help our neighbors who aren't as well off? And again, that's there's political arguments on both sides of that. Okay. Now, now that we're, we're discussing wealthy people, I know that this one also hits the news a lot, and I think a lot of the the laymen out there, and once again, those are people that usually listen to our podcast, hence the name, uh, but that hear about wealthy people uh, that avoid paying taxes, and how despite a large income, or, or at least being very wealthy, they pay a lower tax rate than, you know, Tim, for example. Um, so how do they, how does that work? Um, how, why why are they able to do that? Uh, by the way, I'm outraged. So <laughs> that you're not lumped in with the wealthy Tim or the, the... <laughs> that also. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a good question. Uh, the and again, I think we, we're talking mostly about the income tax. I mean, I've I've I'm sat across the table from uh, real estate developers who tell me that they hate the property tax. And the reason they hate the property tax is they can't do the kind of thing that you've just talked about. They can they can manage their income taxes. They can manage some of their other taxes. They can't manage the the property tax because it's based upon the value of the property and whatever that value is, they have to pay the, the same rate that everybody else is, is, is paying. Uh, but with regard to the question of how do the wealthy manage their income tax, that's why the tax code is as thick as it is, um, because there we have, for a variety of reasons, we have opted to put into the tax code opportunities for people to reduce their tax burden because we think it's a good idea. Uh, for example, we've said, well, we would like to encourage investment. And so we're not going to tax income from investments that have been held for a long period of time the same way we tax other kinds of income. So the maximum tax rate on long-term capital gains is 15% at the federal level. The, the same amount of income, uh, if it were ordinary income, you know, the, the, the large checks that Tim makes as a school teacher would be taxed more heavily. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, they are large. Yeah, there's a lot of zeros at the end of those. But we can poke fun at Tim. There are other loopholes, things that, that are put into the tax code, often at the request of high-income people and their accountants and their lawyers uh, that allow them to escape taxes uh, or at least to postpone them. Uh, and it has to do with, you know, where does the income come from? Uh, and is it a loss this year or is it a profit this year and things of that sort? So it, it's all, again, that's at the federal level and to some extent at the state level uh, with regard to the income tax. 
much more difficult to do with the, with the sales tax uh, because sales tax is, is a percentage of the purchase price and we don't really look at your income. We don't you know, care too much about it. But that's one of the reasons that people don't like the income tax because it doesn't pay attention to income. And that means that poor people are likely to pay a higher percentage of their income in sales tax than wealthy people are. Uh, again, as I've mentioned, wealthy people don't particularly like the property tax because there's not much they can do to manage it. So, yeah, that makes sense. Now, once again, I guess I was. So we've got a worldwide listener base. We have a lot of listeners in India and the UK, for example. Um, we have a that you mentioned. We have a progressive tax policy here in the United States. So wealthy people are obviously I. Uh, under normal circumstances are required to pay a higher tax rate, but can avoid it using, like I said, like loopholes and things like that. Is it the case that wealthy people in other countries, uh, so I know people even in our country, you hear about people essentially taking their money and hiding it elsewhere in other countries or something along those lines. Uh, in your international work, is it the case that uh, that it's easier or more difficult to, uh, as a wealthy person, to to essentially uh, manage your income tax? Yes, that's true in, in every country. Uh, okay. there, there are every tax system, uh, again, well-intentioned, often well-intentioned legislators and uh, policymakers will put provisions into the tax code to achieve, to uh, attempt to achieve specific policy objectives, whether it be encourage investment, and, and so it may be you, you want to encourage wealthy people to come and live in your community. Um, and so you're going to make the either the tax rates lower or lots of opportunities for people to uh, avoid some of the taxes. But that's true. It's been my experience. And it's true uh, everywhere. Right. OK. Now, taking, I guess, a little bit of a step away from individual taxes, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, cor- uh, corporate taxes. Um, how does uh, that's something that I know I have very little. In. So I, I've all, my life I've worked as an employee, and so I know that my the company that I've worked for has had to pay corporate taxes, but I know very little about it. So uh, is it a state tax? Is it a federal tax? And what do cor- corporate taxes look like as opposed to individual taxes? States that have a corporate income tax, and not all do. Uh, will generally tie it in some way to the federal income tax, uh, or they will have, I mean, if you think about a corporation that operates in multiple jurisdictions and you want to tax their income, how much of their income can you attribute to you and tax in your state? Uh, if they have a manufacturing facility in your state, but they sell all of their products out of state, or the majority of their products out of state, should you be taxing the income from those sales out that happen out of state? Um, and and so one of the issues that states deal with is determining uh, how much of a, a, of a multi-state or multi-jurisdiction uh, corporation's income should be taxed within their state. At the federal level, you still run into a similar kind of an issue because do you tax income made in India if your company is uh, headquartered in Ireland, but the, most of its employees are in the United States? You know, those those kind of those are uh, difficult tax policy issues. And you may have seen recently that the uh, number of countries dis- are debating the issue: of should there be a minimum corporate tax at the international level? Uh, precisely because corporations do attempt to manage their their corporate taxes by moving their headquarters into a, a different country or moving uh, their apparent income into a different country that, that doesn't have a, a, a corporate tax. But I think ultimately what you have to recognize is that businesses don't pay taxes. People pay taxes. So if we put a tax on a business, it could be paid by the owners of that business, the shareholders in the case of a corporation. It could also be paid in the form of lower wages to the employees. The owners of the corporation may say, well, we have to pay this much in tax, so we have less money that we can pay the employees, and so everybody gets paid a little bit less. 
or it could be paid by the consumers of the product that the, comp the company produces, and it gets passed forward in the form of higher prices. So the business isn't really paying the tax. Uh, and w what combination of owners and employees and uh, customers share the burden of that tax will depend on the nature of the product and the nature of the market that they're in. Uh, if we're talking about buying a, a gallon of milk, most milk is produced within a state. So you could tax the, uh, uh, the income from the, uh, the production of that milk and you probably get all of the milk producers in the state. But if we're talking about copper, uh, copper is produced in an international market. The market is set on it in the international uh, marketplace. Uh, corporations aren't, don't have a lot of control over what the price of copper is. So in that case, the tax is likely to be paid by the owners of the, of the company, the shareholders, or perhaps in some instances by the employees. So. Yes, corporations are quite successful at managing their uh, their tax burdens, um, but even but but I think you have to recognize that ultimately it's going to be some combination of owners, employees, and uh, customers that end up paying those taxes. Now I'd imagine, and you mentioned earlier once again also that that some of this kind of the way that the taxes are structured and tax rates are, are also kind of a function of political will. Uh, I'd imagine that something like corporate taxes um, are a little bit easier to uh, get some political will behind because it doesn't in, uh, directly, like you said, taxes are paid by people for sure, but it's easier to kind of uh, disguise, well, maybe not disguise it, but kind of make it more palatable by saying this is a tax on uh, you know large companies. Disassociate and, it from right, the individual. Exactly. Is that the case, and is that something you've seen? Is is are corporate taxes more or less uh, uh, easy to get passed, and and is that something that uh, that, that then affects affects the way that the governments look at at corporate tax policy? Well, from a political standpoint, uh, it's difficult to get to give too, much, too big of a break to, to corporations um, simply because if, you know, if Carl and Tim and Matt are faced with the proposition of, okay, they have to fill out their income taxes, they have to pay their taxes this, this week or in the, in the recent past, and we've got a corporation over here that's making lots of money and they're not paying taxes, that's politically a tough sell. Okay, uh, and so you know there are lots of, of public finance economists who have argued we should get rid of the corporate income tax because, as I said, corporations don't pay taxes. It's the owners and we can tax them through their income. It's the employees we can tax them through their income. It's the customers we can tax. You know we could tax the sale of the product or we can tax their income. So there's no reason to have a corporate income tax in that regard. That's politically a very tough sell. On the other hand, there is a lot of international competition and company, uh, countries are very sensitive to the attractiveness of their environment for businesses. And during the, the past uh, the administration, we saw a, a significant cut in the uh, U.S. corporate income tax rate uh, in response to the fact that corporate income tax rates in other countries were significantly lower than ours and we were concerned about our competitiveness. So there are good reasons why you would just want to get rid of a corporate income tax, but there are, but politically it's going to be difficult to do. On the other hand, you do have to worry about your competitive position in relation to other states and other countries. And so you're going to try to keep your rates reasonably low. The other problem with the, with the corporate income tax, which really creates havoc for, for governments, is it's so volatile. Uh, it, it goes up and down so much more rapidly in relation to what's happening in the economy than, than the income tax or some of the other taxes. So it's very difficult to forecast and plan on what that income stream is going to look like. So lots of problems with the corporate income tax. Corporations are very successful at, at managing and 
and repositioning themselves in relation to whatever policies are. They're also very successful at lobbying for uh, changes that they like. Right. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Do we do we have any idea how much the United States, for example, actually brings in on the corporate income tax? Yes, we do. Um, I don't have the number, uh, but I but it's readily available. Uh, and it's well, let's see. And I'm just wondering if it's significant compared to other sources of revenue. Yes, it is significant. Uh, it's not nearly as significant as the individual income tax. Uh, I, I have the state numbers right in front of me. The individual income tax at the state level brings in about $450 billion a year. Uh, the corporate income tax, on the other hand, is about $65 billion. So it's significantly less than the individual income, but it's still a noticeable an important revenue source. And that's a big chunk. And that's for the state of Utah? No, that's for all states in the U.S. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. So, um, we're obviously, we've just been discussing the corporate tax rate. Um, and, and kind of you mentioned the uh, the effects it kind of has on, on, on competition, the ability that the corporate uh, corporation has to move their headquarters or something like that. Um, I'd imagine maybe so this kind of all sounds like calculus. There's a lot of things to consider when trying to establish tax policy. And um, but are there specific taxes and and or tax rates that that tax commissions like you've been on uh, know the, how they affect a particular economy? And for example, you said that you know the corporate tax rate. We have to watch out that that doesn't go too high because otherwise companies might leave. Are there other considerations as far as individual taxes or tax rates that uh, that I guess you take into consideration when making tax policy? There are, uh, and a lot of it again has to do with uh, trying to attract jobs and businesses to a community. Um, and you will find that, that corporations, uh, business leaders are very successful at negotiating with state and local governments to get tax breaks. Uh, it doesn't apply so much to their federal corporate income tax because it doesn't matter where they locate in the U.S. for federal income tax. Those issues occur when they're talking about moving offshore or moving some of their operations offshore. But at the state and local level, this is an important issue. Um, if Walmart wants to come to town and put in a, a, a big box store, uh, they will inevitably uh, ask local governments and sometimes the state government as well for tax breaks. Um, they'll say, look, we're going to bring in all of these uh, sales, you're going to get make a lot of money on the sales tax, so give us a break on the property tax. Uh, or they'll come in in, uh, uh, in the case of, of um, Facebook's building a new data center someplace. And they'll come in and say, okay, we're not going to put a big burden on your local schools because we don't have that many employees. We have a lot of capital infrastructure in the, in the building and the equipment inside. Um, but you don't need all that revenue because we're not going to add to your burdens very much. So give us a break on it, and uh, and that will be a, a stimulus for other businesses in to come and locate close to us. And businesses have been successful at, uh, at bringing in, at getting those kinds of concessions from state and local governments. There is a, a an ongoing debate about whether or not any of those factors really make a difference uh, in, in terms of, of how they impact the local economy. Because it's often the case that other factors, other costs of doing business are much, much larger and much, much more important uh, to the business than the actual taxes that they'll pay in a location. You know, Facebook is in, in that data center is going to be a lot more concerned about getting access to the power that they need and what they're going to have to pay for power rates and for water than they are about what they're going to pay in property taxes. Walmart is going to be much more concerned about 
Can we get the employees? Can we, do we have the transportation infrastructure? Do we have the cost of energy where we need it to be? Those factors are going to be much more significant in determining where they locate uh, than the actual property taxes that they pay. Nonetheless, those business leaders will sit across the table from local leaders and say, we need the help. And it's, it takes a courageous local leader to say no, because they want they want to be able to point and say, see what I did? We now have this business that we didn't have before, and it's because of you know, my leadership. So, Right. Now, I, I you mentioned property taxes and the relation to, pro, to corporations. How about so I know that, you know, I've, I've lived in a couple of states in, in the United States and property tax rates for uh, very widely. Uh, I lived in Illinois as a kid. Granted, I didn't have a lot of exposure as a child to property taxes, but I do know that Illinois property tax is pretty high as far as a percentage of, uh, you know, the uh, the property. Um, why is that? And and. I know from, you know, does that have an effect on populations, I guess, even, you know, if if a state has a lower property tax, do we see more people going, you know, moving in there or does that not, does that, uh, does that rate not have that effect? Well, it's interesting you should bring up uh, Illinois. I was uh, actually looking at some of their numbers uh, earlier today and let's compare Illinois with the state of New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire has no income tax. They have no sales tax. They have they rely almost exclusively on the property tax. So they have very high property taxes. Illinois has an income tax. They have property taxes. The total t- tax, the average taxes paid by a household in Illinois, is about well fourteen thousand, just over fourteen thousand dollars for federal income tax state income tax, property taxes, other taxes in the, in the state. Total taxes in New Hampshire are $14,900. So slightly more, but not that much different than Illinois. Illinois has high property taxes. New Hampshire has high property taxes, but even higher than Illinois. But over, when all is said and done, they're pretty close. If you look at this, uh, in, in most cases you'll find if a state has low property taxes, they're going to have higher taxes in other areas, other higher income taxes or higher uh, sales taxes. In some cases, if you um, if the state has a lot of natural resources, like a Wyoming, for example, or an Alaska, uh, they'll put a heavy tax on those natural resources, on the oil, the gas, the timber, uh, the coal, and that will allow them to have the revenue they need but keep the other taxes on households low. And this gets this. We didn't really talk about this before, but this gets to the issue of is it possible to export a tax? By that, I mean, if I'm in a local jurisdiction, uh, whether it be a state or a community, is there some kind of a tax that I can put in place that won't tax my residents? It will tax other people. And that's the attraction of these taxes that go on natural resources because the coal coming out of Wyoming is not used in Wyoming. It's shipped all over the country. And so the taxes that get added to the cost of that coal get shipped all over the taxes as well, all over the nation as well. And and governments will often try to figure out ways that they can export the taxes in that way. If you think about when was the last time you stayed in a hotel uh, did you have to pay over and above the room rate? Did you have to pay a tax uh, that went to the local government? And you, if you noticed it, that tax was probably pretty high, 17, 18, maybe 20 percent. Very high tax rate. But you paid it and other people pay it who are not residents of that community. And governments love that because, you know, they get the money, but they don't have to put the burden on, on their own people. So. Does it affect an economy? Yes. Are there limits? Um, well, the again, my observation is that if you have a tax that's relatively low in one area, you'll find other taxes that are relatively high. And overall, the total taxes paid are probably not going to vary that much between jurisdictions, at least in the U.S. Okay. 
Are there any sense. outliers on the, um, as far as nations or, or states in the U.S. where there is a, a you know, higher tax rate for, for residents, generally speaking? California yeah. seems to have that reputation deserved or not. I wonder if that's valid. California has relatively high property taxes, um, even though they have Proposition 13, but the, the state with the highest taxes is going to be New Jersey. New Jersey has very high property taxes, relatively modest income taxes, but the total tax burden significantly higher in New Jersey than it is. And you'll see high property taxes in the Northeast as well, uh, higher than in, in uh, the West generally. Um, and so, yes, there are some outliers in, in that area. Um, but uh, the, the, I think the average property tax in uh, New Jersey is about $8,000 a year, significantly higher than in other parts of the country. The average in California is about $4,000. So. And there are also things that individuals can do and, and, and do to kind of manage their tax burden, either from an income, especially, I guess, from an income tax point of view also that, you know, I hear about people that, uh, for example, work in in, in uh, California, but when they go to retire, they want a lower income tax rate, so they move to Florida or something along those lines. So that's, um, is that something that states are aware of? And and it, it, does Florida enact tax policy that kind of, that lures a certain uh, population down there, I guess? Or? Oh, absolutely. Florida has no income, no state income tax. And a rel you know, their, their property taxes are not outrageous. They're higher than, than many places, um, but they have no, no income tax. And so overall, the, that's attractive to people who have uh, income from, from retirement sources. Uh, if you're coming out of California where you had to pay a significant income tax and you're looking for a place that, that has no income tax, the Nevadas, the Texas, the Florida uh, become pretty attractive. Uh, but recognize that you are going to pay more in property taxes in those states, typically. Does okay, that so balance out? You you were saying that in other states, the things balance out the Illinois to New Hampshire, but for those people who are retiring and going away to states without an income tax, do those higher property taxes, higher sales taxes balance out for them? Well, that's in my perception, um, I mean, there, the other thing that, that comes into play is the kinds of services that you want. Uh, we can talk about the, you know, going to an international setting for, for just a minute. Uh, the income taxes in uh, and other taxes in Europe are significantly higher than they are in the United States. But the level of service from government is much higher as well. Uh, in the healthcare is much less expensive uh, if you have to pay it all in, in Europe. Uh, education is much less expensive uh, if you have to pay it all in, in, in Europe. Uh, so one of the things that you have to balance is what's the level of service that we're getting versus what we have to pay. And in many states that have, that really emphasize low taxes, I'm thinking West Virginia, for example, which has very low taxes. Um, they also are not known for their for the level of government services. Uh, so, in some ways, you have this combination of things that the the income tax may not be, you may not have an income tax, but you'll probably have higher property taxes, and or you may have poorer services locally. Yeah, I, I'm, I probably hold the distinction of one of the few people in the world that speaks Dutch and has never been to the Netherlands, but I've heard <laughs> that uh, the Netherlands, uh, obviously, I'd imagine, and I don't know what their, their income tax rate, uh, generally, it's viewed to be quite a, a progressive tax rate, a high tax rate, uh, but I have heard from people that live there that um, you know they, they, there's a mandatory amount of uh, paid time off. Uh, the corporations are, are required to give by the government. It's quite high. I think it's something like 12 to 16 weeks a year are required. Um, and that when they go on vacation, they get a certain amount of money just 
put into their bank account to go on vacation by the government. So yeah, that's I guess what the uh, so different services the government offer. I think at least from the U.S. point of view, we think well, I don't generally see any services that government. Uh, you know, for me, for example, not a lot of government services besides you know roads and 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 things like that that I interact with on a daily basis. But in other countries, governments are just generally more involved with. Uh, people and, and their, their finances because they if there's a higher tax rate, that expectation of higher services is there. And in some countries, if you're going to have a child, you can the government will not only pay for it, but they'll compensate you uh, in over and above the cost of having the child. So I mean, that, that, lots of different issues, lots of different things to, to weigh in the balance. But yes, uh, other countries are much more generous in terms of the services, but also much more demanding in terms of the taxes. Okay, so as far as locally, once again, either at the state level or the, the federal level, are there limits? Um, you said the states rely on property tax. Can can the federal government not levy a property tax? Is that not uh, allowed? And are there particular taxes that are not legal, I guess, at, at uh, the local level or versus the federal level? At the at the federal level, uh, there are a few limitations on uh, the federal government that are identified in the Constitution. There won't there can't be any poll taxes, which is a tax that you have to pay in order to vote. Uh, there's no you can't one state can't impose a tax on the, their exports to another state, you know, a few things like that. But by and large, no, there aren't very many limits on the, uh, what the national government can do. Um, there are some political limits in that the again, the property tax has historically been a state and local tax. It would be very difficult for the federal government to administer a property tax simply because they don't have access to the property records. Uh, and so they're not sure who the taxpayers would be. Uh, at a state level, again, there there are not there are fewer limits on the on uh, state governments uh, in terms of the taxes. Local governments are, can't impose any tax that is not authorized by the state. The uh, local governments are creatures of state governments, and state governments have a lot of authority uh, to both allow and to limit taxes that can be imposed at the at the local level. In practice, the property tax has been, I think it's like 96% of the property tax revenue in the, in the nation is, is collected and spent at the local level, not at the state level. Um, so states have more flexibility. Um, they have tended over the years, as, I, as we've talked, to, to focus on this, the income and the, uh, the sales tax as their major sources unless they have a lot of natural resources. Okay. But the Probably the, the overall limit that I would say applies to both the federal and the uh, uh, local level is the electorate. You know, people don't like to pay taxes, oddly enough. Uh, except for Tim. Tim, Tim, Tim loves it. Tim <laughs> loves it. Yeah, he had so much fun for the analyst tax return and writing that check, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, it's a highlight of my year. <laughs> uh, but most people don't like to pay taxes and if you and you know the more visible the tax is the angrier they get so they they hate the property tax because they get one bill every year and they see exactly how much they have they have to pay uh, on the other hand the they probably pay more in well, they probably pay more in income tax than they do in, in property tax, so that's not true in every state. Uh, but they pay it in small chunks out of each check, and so their bigger their big concern there is how much of a return am I going to get? Uh, you know, how much of a refund am I going to get? Um, rather than how much did I pay? And nobody knows how much they pay in sales tax because you pay it in such little small bits and pieces as you uh, throughout the year. So. But if, if we start talking about raising the sales tax rate, if we start talking about raising the income tax rate or the property tax rate, people get very exercised and they pay attention. And elected officials are terrified of 
what the electorate will say when they start trying to raise more money. Sometimes it's necessary. And so I, I have, I don't think it makes any sense for a, a candidate in an election to stand up and say, I will never raise taxes. Uh, that tells me this person doesn't understand much about government because there are some times when you hit a situation where you don't have much choice. You have to raise revenue in order to accomplish a very valid and needed uh, objective. Nonetheless, it's politically difficult. It should be politically difficult to raise taxes because you have to have a very good reason in my mind you don't just raise taxes because you can, you raise taxes because there's a legitimate public purpose that needs to be taken care of. And we can debate whether or not that's a legitimate, sufficiently legitimate public purpose. That's an important conversation to have. But the electorate ultimately is the group that's going to hold the elected officials feet to the fire and say, don't raise my taxes unless you've got some really good reason to. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's completely uh, relevant and, and something I think a lot of the laymen are familiar with, obviously, is that idea that, you know, we uh, have kind of an allergy, at least in the United States, to, uh, to high tax rates. Um, one question, a final question, I guess I had for you, Dr. Walters, is um, you've sat on tax commissions and you've worked with taxes across the world. Uh, I know that the state at least in the, in the United States, the state has to run um, a balanced budget, right? Uh, states yes. can't can't yes. spend at a, at a deficit. Uh, so on a tax commission, you're seeing the actual numbers as to how much money the, the state's bringing in. Um, and I assume it's a, the, the legislative or executive branch of the state that actually has to balance the budget. Do, but do you at the tax commission level give them the um, do you get to tell them like, okay, we're running a deficit, you need to raise taxes, or how does that uh, that ebb and flow of, of tax rates at, at, in order to balance the budget go at the state level to make sure that states have a balanced budget? At the, both the state and the local level, jurisdictions are required to have a balanced budget. And the way that works is prior to the beginning of the fiscal year, fiscal meaning whatever 12-month period you designate as your budget period. Uh, in many states, it's a July 1st through June 30th. In some states and some jurisdictions, it's a calendar year. But whatever that 12-month period is, um, that's called the fiscal year. And prior to the beginning of that, you estimate what your revenues are likely to be, and you produce a budget that uh, is within, that is funded by those revenues. And then during the course of the year, you monitor the revenues that come in, the expenditures that go out to make sure that you're still within that legally authorized budget. And if toward the end of the year you see you're, you're going to run short, you're not going to have enough money, it's too late to raise taxes. And so at that point, you either have to draw down your reserves, your, whatever savings you may have, or you have to cut, uh, cut your spending to stay within budget, but you have to have a balanced budget at the end of the year. It Because it, it takes months to a year or so to actually raise the taxes. So it's difficult to do that in the middle of the budget cycle. Now you can borrow from your reserves and, and pay it back in, in, uh, in the future or you know just draw it down if you have sufficient. Um, but at both the state and the local level, that requirement exists. Federal level, it doesn't. As you know, uh, we have very large deficits at the uh, at the national level, um, but states and local governments, by their generally by their constitution, are required to balance their budget every year. Well, I appreciate all the insight that we've gotten. Uh, last questions, either from Matt or Jessica. Anything else that you'd like uh, to ask and, and get some clarification with on tax policy? Uh, no, I think we've covered succinctly in just over an hour every question that anyone could have about taxes. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, we've the question of why are my taxes so high? So, <laughs> you know, well, 
I'm sure that, uh, yes, I'm sure that all of uh, Dr. Walter's uh, former students can say that in the last hour, we've covered everything that he would cover in a semester or two of, uh, of, of, uh, of classes, I'm sure. Well, and but that's I do... why we have this podcast, you know, Learn It From a Layman is a viable alternative to advanced higher education courses in, <laughs> in a number of topics. Well, uh, I hope I... it hasn't been too dense or too obscure. So, no, this has been great. But... I really appreciate it. And I understand. Yeah, I, I these are all questions, like I said, that these aren't questions that I like. Usually I come up with these questions. And then I see, like, who could answer these questions for me? And uh, luckily, once we actually got an expert on here who could answer these in a way that uh, makes sense and uh, is actually true as well. <laughs> so we try to be truthful and learn it from a layman, but it certainly helps to have someone that, uh, that knows. So, uh, Dr. Walters, really appreciate your time. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Happy to do it. Take care. Thanks.